Mother's Day. Just a great, just a great day, isn't it? Um, it's right up there with Christmas and Easter and birthdays and, you know, things like that. You always, I always, always look around, read, look around reading in terms of uh, what other people think of mothers and Mother's Day and so forth. I, I could really fill up our time today doing that. I'm not going to, but uh, I want to start off with a great, uh, just a great quote from George Washington, father of our country, about his mother. My mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. That's great. All I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. Isn't that amazing? George Washington. Um, I would, you know, I always, I didn't, I haven't always done this as a, as a pastor, but um, clean up the artist's stuff, but that's part of my job. Um, <laughs> I haven't always done this as a pastor in terms of Mother's Day. I have made many mistakes over the years, and I'm going to explain that. And so I want to I begin, though, after a great thought like that from President General Washington, it, it just to kind of take a minute, literally, and, and just talk to those who may not think Mother's Day is such a great day. You may be here, and you may have some bad memories of your mom. Maybe you, were, maybe you didn't have a very good mom. Maybe she abused you. Maybe she was uh, hateful. Maybe she had other things going on. I want you to know that you probably still pick some things up you could have learned in a positive way as well as a negative way. Some ways you don't want to be. And if she's alive, you can still pray for her. And if she's not, you can still thank God for some of the lessons that you might have learned anyway. It's just to acknowledge that, you, you, may, you may have longed to be a mom, and, and, and so far, that hasn't happened. And you're at an age where it may not happen. Well, I want you to know, you can still be, quote-unquote, a mom. There are a lot of people who need a mom figure to look up to. So don't be discouraged by this. Um, you, may have, you may be a mom, and you may have kids, and, and they're estranged. And I don't, mean, I don't mean that they're like away at college, we all go through that, or that they've moved to another part of the country, that happens uh, for many of us as well. No, I don't mean that. I mean like there's like not a relationship there, and it's, it's pretty bitter and so forth. You may be in that situation. For mom, Mother's Day in those situations can be very challenging, very difficult. And I would only encourage you to say the end of this chapter hasn't been written yet. And you need to keep, you need to keep asking God to intervene. And look for those opportunities when they're there. And it may be next week, it may be next year, it may be 10 years. I don't know. But, but the end of that story hasn't been written yet. And then, of course, there will be and has been uh, people here today who, this is their first Mother's Day without their mom. And, you know, that's very difficult. I haven't had to face that yet, personally. And, uh, but, you know, it, you can still remember for years to come the great memories of your mom. So use that at Mother's Day. In the loss, think about some of the, some of the great pluses that are in your life because she did live and give birth to you. All right? So I just want to deal with that just for a moment and just, just offer a special encouragement to those of you who may be in one of those areas or some form of, of one of those areas, just to think about that. All right? uh, having said that, let me, let me get back to some of these, some of these great people um, thinkers and politicians and, and uh, 
literarians and so forth and what they've said. Emerson put it this way, people are what their mothers make them. Abraham Lincoln, all that I am or hope I or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. It's amazing how some of these great men look back to their moms. Lord Shaftesbury from England said this, give me a generation of Christian mothers and I will undertake to change the whole face of society in 12 months. It's good truth right there from the Lord. Um, Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you five very simple reasons why you need to honor your mom, living or or not. I'm going to show you five, five, and I'm going to make the assumption for our purposes that, you you know, in spite of maybe her faux pas and maybe some of her uh, idiosyncrasies and some of her manipulative tendencies or or whatever, um, that that hits a nerve of some of us, doesn't it? In spite of those things, I want to show you five reasons why you need to honor your mom, and I'm going to do these real quickly, and I'm going to hit the fifth one is what I want to talk about the most. All right? First one, though, is very simple, and that is just one of the reasons we should honor our moms is because my kids hear this all, heard this so many times when they were, when they were at home, because, because they almost died bringing us into the world. Okay? Let's just start with something simple. Childbirth, you know? I one time had a wreck. I, I, uh, in college, I had a motorcycle, and, and I had a wreck. And they said that I would either uh, die or have permanent brain damage. Anyway, and um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and and so here I am. But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, I had a broken uh, femur. Had broken. I still got. A, I got. Had broken leg. Had a broken shoulder. Had broken mouth. Had broken uh, head. Had a concussion. Um, I was in intensive care, and I'm hanging like this, and some woman comes in, a, a friend, a, 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 a buddy's wife comes in. That's the closest you're ever going to experience to childbirth, right there, you know? <laughs> uh, and I, it really made a point, okay? It made the point, and, and, and that's, that's the thing. You know, and my kids heard this, every time they would sm- you know, smart off to their mom or something, I'd say, hush your mouth, she almost died bringing you into the world, just, just I don't want to hear any, any trash out of you, Okay. And they, they, to this day, one's 34 and one's 28 or 29. And to this day, I know, I know, I know, Dad, Mom almost died bringing us under the face of the earth. That's right. That's right. Don't forget that. Um, that's one reason you should honor your mom. Another one. Number two reason. Uh, you don't know what kind of crap she had to take from your dad, you know? There's another one. Um, you, there may be a lot. And maybe it was, you know, and I say that jokingly. Sometimes it's not joking at all. We know that. Sometimes I have to put up with some really difficult situations from a, a, a dominant male. Um, third thing, they gave up their life, maybe their career, because of you, by their life. You, what I mean, I mean, they gave up life, quote unquote, as they would know it, to have a child or children. And their life changed dramatically. Nothing, nothing it, it's never going to be the same again. Never will be. Some, some were able to give up a career, some weren't able to because of, of the economic situation. But, the, but whether they did or not, they gave up their life as they knew it for you, for this little baby that, you know, does nothing but, you know, cries and poops. And I'm learning about that again. And it's been a while, but they're so, you know, so sweet, you know, so great. It's well worth it. But, you know, think about that, you, you know, you... you it, it, took my, it took my son having a child before he called me up at age 26 or 7 and said, Dad, thanks for putting up with me. 
you know, finally understood what it, what it took. It wasn't until then. Um, they pointed you, in other words, they pointed you to a path of virtue. If you had a, a mom that was on target. They pointed you on a path of virtue. In fact, the Apostle Paul's writing to Timothy in the New Testament, and, and listen to this. He even, he even said, you know, your faith came from your mouth. Look what he says. And this is the Second Timothy chapter 1. I know you that you sincerely trust the Lord, for you have the faith of your mother, Eunice, and your grandmother, Lois. Uh, by the way, if you think the Apostle Paul was a sexist, think about that. He's crediting, these, he's crediting this young man, Timothy's mom and grandmom, for giving him the faith that he had. The greatest reason, and that brings us to Hannah in the Old Testament, the greatest reason, though, that we should honor our moms and the moms of our kids is because more than anything I can think of, motherhood epitomizes selflessness. Motherhood epitomizes selflessness. I'm going to say this probably three or four times. They give and they give and they keep on giving just amazing. I'm going to take you to the Old Testament in the book of Samuel. I'm going to introduce you to a guy by the name of Elkanah. He's, uh, he's married. He's got two wives. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, he, he's married. One of his wives is Hannah. Okay? Uh, I, I want to thank Steve for... Um, um, I never was thinking of Hannah Montana until he said that this morning. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Steve. Thanks for that thought. I needed that, you know? Um, no, I'm teasing. Uh, it, was, it was kind of actually humorous. But um, Hannah is in the Old Testament. She, you don't get a lot of... She's you know, not, not a well-known person in Scripture. I think she should be. I mean, a lot of the reasons... She, she doesn't have a lot of real estate. By that, I mean, she there's not a lot of chapters written about her. But uh, the, there's a couple things here that are just outstanding about her. Motherhood epitomizes selflessness, and I'm going to show you that in the life of this woman, Hannah. So here we go. Um, you know, here's the thing about Hannah. She trusted God for her children, child, and then she trusted God with her child. It's pretty cool. She trusted him for him, and then she trusted God with him, Samuel. That's her, her child. So here we go. First Samuel chapter 1. Let's just jump into this passage, this Old Testament narrative here. Here we go. There was this man named Elkanon. Elkanah, who lived in Ramah in the hill country of Ephraim. Goes through his, his history there a little bit. And then in verse 2, uh, Elkanah and had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Uh, uh, I, had a, I had the pronunciation perfect in the earlier service. Uh, Peninnah, okay? And there's different variations of that pronunciation. Well, Peninnah had children while Hannah did not. Stop right here. I know what some of you are thinking especially since it's been in the news lately with some of this awful stuff that's going on in Texas. Uh, um, what about polygamy? What's the deal with polygamy? God never sanctioned, ordained, or blessed polygamy. He tolerated it. And the Bible says because of the hardness of men's hearts. And it's interesting when you look through history, there are many different things that God tolerated for reasons that we don't understand, that we're wrong. Sometimes, sometimes with whole generations of people of faith in Christ. Whether it be polygamy, never, never was he, never did he, did God say that's okay, you know? Whether it be slavery, never did God say that was okay. There were people of faith in Christ who, who did. That doesn't mean it was right. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was wrong. It was very wrong. 
So, so the whole issue here is when you look at this and other passages in the Old Testament that talk about that whole thing of, 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 of polygamy and, and whether it's right. No, it's not right. But it, it, was, it was part of the culture. And it was accepted. And that's, that's, that's just the way it was. So um, doesn't mean it's okay. But that, that's what was going on, just so you understand that. Now, here we go. Verse 3, each year Elkanah and his family would travel to Shiloh, that's where the tabernacle was, to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at the tabernacle. The priest of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hopani and Phinehas. On the day that Elkanah presented his sacrifice, by the way, they were bad guys. Side note, they were bad guys. They, they, this was a time in the history of Israel, much like the Middle Ages in, in the, with, the, with the Roman church. This was a time in the history of Israel when some of the ruling uh, quote-unquote, clergy members, prophets, they were bad guys, okay? And these two sons of Eli, these guys, these guys were dirtbags, I mean, just big time. All right, anyway, just a side note, that day Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the sacrifice to Peninnah and each of her children, because she had kids. But he gave Hannah a special portion because he loved her very much, even though, even though the Lord had given her no children. But Peninnah made fun of Hannah because the Lord had closed her womb. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Hannah would finally be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Do you get what's going on here? I mean, this is, this is not good. Hannah wants to have kids. Now, keep in mind a couple things going on at, at the time also. A man, you know, it's just the way it was in that culture. A man's identity would be wrapped up on whether his name would be carried on. So it wasn't just enough to have children, but they needed to be male children so they could carry his name on. And that was what the culture accepted. You say, well, that kind of stinks. If you're a woman, yeah, it does. And um, Jesus changed all that, by the way, because Jesus was the first to recognize men and women as equals. Well, if you know that, but that's, that's, that's an important issue. Jesus changed all that. That's kind of cool. Um, but at this time... It wasn't just important that you have children, but that they be males to carry on your name. And uh, that's not happening with Hannah. And, and in the meantime, Peninnah, she's a real uh, twit. I mean, she's just, oh, she, she's just you know, she, doesn't, she has the two kids, and you're just kind of looking at Hannah going, ha, 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 I got kids and you don't. Which, aside from being um, petty and trite, it was very hurtful to Hannah, very hurtful. She's reduced to tears. Here's why I like Elkanah. Elkanah is just a good guy. He's not showing partiality to one wife over the other. In fact, he really loves Hannah probably more than, than the other. The other one might have been an arranged marriage. Who knows? But this is why I, really, I, like, I like Elkanah. And in fact, I've even, I've, I've even done Look what happens. Verse 8. What's the matter, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why are you eating? Why be so sad just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? I like this guy. I've actually, I've said that very same thing, actually, uh, years ago to my wife when our youngest left to go to college. You know, Charlene was kind of weepy, and, you know, it's just, if you haven't had not experienced that yet, it's just kind of a, the oldest is one thing, when your youngest leaves to go to college, you're there alone, you're just kind of like, oh, jeez. And she was kind of weepy, and I said, honey, you got me? <laughs> she started crying hard, rah, you know? <laughs> and we understand that, don't we? Um, <laughs> anyway, so that's what's going on here. He's got, he's got a good attitude. So anyway, Hannah's got this thing going on. Verse 9, once they were at Shiloh, Hannah went over to the tabernacle after supper to pray to the Lord. 
Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance. Hannah was deep in anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord Almighty, if you will look down upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut a couple of things are going on here. I need to explain a couple of things. First of all, she's talking about a Nazarite vow here. A Nazarite vow is something that, a, that some Hebrew men would take. There's another guy that takes a Nazarite vow. We're going to see him actually on Father's Day. His name is Samson. He also took the Nazarite vow, although he violated the heck out of it several times. Um, but a Nazarite vow is basically you would never cut your hair. And, and there were several. There were some dietary things that you wouldn't eat, but also you would, and you would never touch a dead body of anything, uh, animal, human, whatever. Um, and there were some other things. So that was, it's just more of a, uh, of a con- you wanted to consecrate more of a commitment to God, an Old Testament deal, just this Nazarite vow. She says, I'll, he'll even take a Nazarite vow. Now, a couple things going on that you need to r- recognize. She says there in verse, you, you can see it there in verse 11, there toward the end, where he says, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. Now, this is one of the verses that we use when we do baby dedications or christenings. Um, I'm going to use those words. If you're a theologian, you may not like that, but I'm going to use those words interchangeably for our purposes. Um, In fact, we're having a baby dedication next service. My my granddaughter. I'm going to have the privilege of uh, dedicating my granddaughter to God, and and I'm looking forward to it. So, So that's 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 what we do. And now, here's the point. You say. You use this to dedicate children. I've done that with some, some, some of you that are here today. Yeah, or Christian. But here's the thing. We're taking an application of this passage. We're not taking it literally because nobody that I have dealt with, at least, is saying, I'm doing this and giving my child. Literally, she was going to give Samuel back to the priest, the prophet, quote-unquote Old Testament pastor. And, and, of course, that's the ruling class at that point. She's going to give Samuel to them to raise, to educate and to raise. So she's literally giving Samuel to God's service. When we use this passage, we're using, and this is an important, it's an important distinction to understand the Scriptures, we're using just an application of dedicating this child to God. He is child, and we're dedicating to him or her to God to the rest, for the rest of his life. So that's an application um, that we do. And you need to understand that's what's happening. This is where we get that from, right there. Again, just an application. So that's what happens. Now verse 12. She's really into this prayer, man. She is really intense. She is praying to the Lord. Eli watched her, Eli the priest. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, she thought she, excuse me, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I'm not drunk. I'm very sad, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Please don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, cheer up. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she explained. And she went back and began to eat again, and, and she was no longer sad. So she's so intense in this prayer that she's sitting here praying, you know, kind of like, God, help me. you know, she's, she's, not, she's not verbalizing anything, but she's lips. I mean, sometimes I've prayed like that where you're just really praying and you don't want to pray out loud and you start moving your lips, you know, and, uh, and you do that. And, and, and people think, oh, you know, what, who's he talking to? Well, I'm talking to God. That's what she was doing. You know, and that's why Eli thought, well, what are you, drunk or whatever? Not at all. Not at all. Just very intense in my prayer. So here's what, she's, uh, she's, she, she's taking that as a promise, that she's going to have a child. Verse 19, the entire family got up early the next morning. They went to worship the Lord once more. 
Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah, uh, when Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her request, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I ask the Lord for him. The word Samuel in Hebrew means some derivative of, and it's, it's, most commentators are a little unclear about it, it means uh, it's a word of asking God for or being favored by God uh, for a child. So that's roughly a loose meaning of what the word Samuel really means. So, verse 21, the next, uh, the next year, Elkanah, Peninnah, and their children went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the baby is weaned, then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord. Permanently. Did you get that? Permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed, stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. He knew it would be tough. So she stayed home and she nursed the baby. And then that day comes. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a half a bushel of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they took the child to Eli, the, the, the priest, the head priest. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I'm the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. Here it is. I asked the Lord to give me this child, and he has given me my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. Pretty cool. Jesus, this is who I prayed for. Here he is. He's God's. You might know this. If you don't, I'll tell you anyway. Uh, Or if you do, I'll tell you anyway. If you don't, I'll tell you. Samuel becomes one of the most prolific, successful, if you want to use that word, um, prophets, Old Testament prophets, pastors, if you wanted to use a New Testament term, uh, in the the Old Testament. Samuel becomes the, the, the minister, so to speak, the pastor to King Saul. He confronts King Saul at one point. We'll see some of this, by the way, in, our, in this particular series later on. Um, he, he, he confronts King Saul on some integrity issues and eventually tells King Saul he's no longer going to be king, according to God. Samuel's the one that recognizes that a shepherd boy named David is going to be the king, and he anoints David to be the king long before he becomes a king, and Samuel will be dead by the time he is, uh, officially becomes the king or practically, I guess you could say. So Samuel has got a long career ahead of him, very successful, well-educated for that time. Of course, the most educated people were the prophets, the priests, pastors, so they were the ones that were doing the education of him. And it's quite the story. But it all goes back to Hannah. And it goes back to how I started this off, that fifth thing of why we should honor our mothers, and that is because motherhood, more than anything else, epitomizes selflessness. And Hannah showed that again and again and again. Now, here's what I want to do. Part of my task or my goal on a, on a holiday like a Mother's Day, and Father's Day, same way, in a different way. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to give appreciation and, and, and affirmation to those moms that are here and to those moms that are representatively here, those of us who have moms who aren't here. And I, want, I want to do that. But, you know, at the same time, I want, to, I want you to leave with something for whether you're a mom or not. Uh, I want you to leave with something that, that, that kind of can help you. 
So I started, I just wrote down some things um, earlier in the week, and I'm just going to, they're not going to be on the screen, I'm just going to talk to you about them very quickly uh, to get you to kind of understand a little bit about how important this whole motherhood thing really is and what we can learn from it and how we can all be better people by, by adopting some of the, some of the qualities of, of our moms or our kids' moms. Um, three or four things I think of. Moms are nurturing, aren't they? They're nurturing. They come along and they care. And they care sometimes, you know, when, when it's not, you know, nobody else really might care, but, but your mom does. It's always interesting to me, at least in the movies, and I've heard in real life, you have somebody in prison or something, who do they call for? Their mom. Because their mom's a nurturer. And she, you know, it's just, it's just an amazing thing. We were, um, the other night I was with my wife, Charlene, and, and our son-in-law, Ike, and, and our daughter was, was, was out with, with some folks. And so the three of us were keeping the baby. It takes three of us to do that, of course. And, and it was one of those moments that, that babies have, and McKinnon now is about three months, four months, and uh, she... Um, you know, I know, you all, I know moms keep track of the weeks. I never could keep track of that. They say, 18 weeks, 26 weeks. And I'd go, let's see, four weeks in a month, two months. I always get all confused. Anyway, she just had one of those little spells, that, you know, the babies have, just, just in an uproar. Couldn't get quiet, just practically screaming, you know. It wasn't, you know, didn't know what it was. So the dad, Ike, tried. I said, oh, I, I, granddad can do it. I, I tried, and she just kept screaming. Charlene came over then and took the baby, you know, in about three minutes, boom. And I, my son-in-law, he's like, I don't, I don't get this, man. What did she do? I said, don't ask. It's just, it's just, it's just something about a mom. I said, it's just, I don't know. I said, it's just one of those things. I, I can't explain it. I've seen it a number of times. It's just one of those things. I said, it's a God thing. Thank God for it. Turn, turn the ball game back on, okay? Um, and... <laughs> I may have said something like that. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, they're just nurturers. You know, and that's not a quality that, that should be strictly feminine. A lot of us need to learn, and maybe it's not going to happen with a baby, but a lot of us need to learn that quality of nurturing and of caring for people that come into our lives. Maybe somebody in the office, maybe somebody in your club, maybe somebody in your neighborhood. That's a, that's, a God, that's a Christ-like quality that we need. We can learn that. Mercy. They show mercy. And, they, and, they, and that's, does that, should only women or moms show mercy? I don't think so. I guess another quality that Jesus holds up, all the being merciful and giving and giving and giving and giving more. That all points to one thing. And I've said it a couple times already. Hannah displayed it with the very act of having this child that she desperately wanted, desperately prayed for, and then gave him to God. Total selflessness. And I think you don't need me to tell you. Selflessness is a quality that every one of us need to develop. It's not all about me. Moms learn that from the very beginning when they find out their body's being taken over by another human being. You know, that's really a 
Really a strange thing, isn't it, guys? They learned that from the very beginning. And it lasts. Even when those little beings become adults, still their baby, still their child. They still, they still give. They'll still give anything because that's their kid. It's selflessness. Hannah dripped selflessness. A lot of moms here drip selflessness. May God, through Christ, give each one of us, male or female, the ability through his power and, and the ability that Jesus can give, give us that ability to drip and epitomize selflessness in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhood, people we play with, people we work with. May God give us that through Jesus. In his name we pray that. Let's pray together. God, we continue to be humbled and amazed by the sacrifice that Jesus made for each one of us. The ultimate sacrifice, giving his life for me, for each one of us. I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would just search our own lives with the help of the Spirit of God to recognize, maybe for the first time, maybe to be reminded of some of those areas where we need to strive for by your power and by your ability, selflessness in our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.